You are now listening to the Counterflow Podcast, a place for dissonant voices and unapproved opinions. You get split in fucking half, cause I call him the hologram brass, but I am the center inside the placenta of mass. You clash with cyanide gas and die fast, rhythmical equivalent of solids, liquid and gas. We smash your sinus with the power of Lord Titus, but I am the virus inside of the iris of Cyrus. Here is your host and humble narrator, Buck Johnson. What's up, you guys? Welcome back once again to the Counterflow Podcast. Great to have you with me here this week. And finally, I've done it. I have the, oh, so delightful, so excellent, so good, Monica Perez here on the show. We've tried to do this in the past, and I've had many listeners write to me in some form or another, Twitter DMs and emails. What are you going to get Monica Perez on? And we've tried to do this in the past, but for whatever reason, scheduling was not allowing it. And now, finally, everything worked out. And I'm so glad to have her on. Many of you are familiar with her. If you're not, well, you certainly will be shortly here. But she's very, very good. She's got the wonderful power of discernment. But when you're trying to decipher what's real and what's fake, when you hear and see and read media, there's so many lies to sort through, unfortunately. But it just is what it is. So better to understand it and deal with it and try to figure it out than pretend it's all real. So she's very good at doing that and deciphering what's real, what's fake. This perfect storm, we're going to talk about that. Ironically, as I say that, there's a a giant storm uh, happening outside my window here. So I hope I can finish this nice little intro. But these things keep happening. Wow, meat's super expensive. And these news reports will say, well, it's just the perfect storm. It's, I don't know, Putin and this and that. And they just start blaming all of these things that happen to just come together perfectly, didn't they? It's interesting how that continues to happen. We get into that. She's very good at, again, like I said, deciphering these things. And it's not always a false flag when these major events happen, a crisis happens. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. How do you tell the difference? We get into that. And like many of us, her views on on maybe politics, religion, her worldviews, philosophy, et cetera, that changed over 2020, between 2020 and now. I hope yours changed a little bit because one of the biggest events in our lifetime happened. And so we're going to get into how her outlook changed, what affected her in 2020 and 2021. And it's just a good conversation. And you guys know that I broadcast these also. If you're listening in your car on the podcast app, of course, you should know at this point, I've got a YouTube channel where the video and audio, of course, these videos are all shown. And, um, This is one I recommend watching on video. That's all I can say about that. It's a good one. And I'll tell you really quick before we get her on here. Many of you guys know her from the Propaganda Report, but you should start knowing her from this awesome new project. She's been doing deep dives with Monica Perez, and she analyzes one of the top stories of the day with her unique, awesome perspective. Before all of this stuff, of course, she was on the radio, which is so cool to me that a voice like hers was allowed for eight and a half years on WSB radio in Atlanta until, well, it wasn't allowed anymore. But she's very much allowed here anytime she wants to come here on Counterflow. She's here, Monica Perez. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to finally do this. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. I'm super excited to chat with you. Me too. It feels like we've been swimming in the same waters for a (laughs) long time. So we finally get to do this. It feels a little bit long overdue, I suppose. Yeah. Um, But, you know, 
the currents keep shifting. So there'll always be something to they, talk yeah, about. That is for sure. In fact, sometimes I record something maybe a week prior to dropping it. And I get worried by the time this comes out, this topic's going to be irrelevant and everyone's on to something else. But but the insights are usually broader. I hope so. Have broader application. I hope so. I want to. I get, loved your last show. Oh my gosh, with Jason Rink. Oh my gosh. I have so oh many, yeah, yeah. I had yeah. so many comments. <laughs> yeah, he's he's good. He's been through. I had this. Go ahead. Sorry, I have this expression called the sacrificial wolves. So he, I don't know uh, the guy he did that documentary about that got booted from Freedom Fest, but I was like, oh, that guy's a sacrificial wolf. And like my little tagline is like, first they came for the assholes. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. I know. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's what they're doing. They're just like, well, he's totally unsympathetic. So we're going to use him as the no questions asked cancellation thing at the place that should not cancel. Yeah, yeah. And so they say it's like Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein and stuff and even Brett Kavanaugh, whatever, like they'll just, although I don't count him at all because that wasn't a legal process. No one has a right to be a Supreme Court justice. Sure. But Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, their legal processes were like violated the fundamental principles of our justice system and... Nobody cares because they're jerks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, bingo. And the irony of some of that stuff with Jason Rink getting kicked off, I think I mentioned this in the episode, they then reached out to him to see, well, you can still host a panel. You can do it. <laughs> we, we have a thing on cancel culture or something like that. And it's like, yeah. what? Crazy. Yeah. Now, like, does he, because of those, I don't know if the Libertarian Party was one of the ones that that he said they told him pressured. Now, does that make him totally eschew the Libertarian Party? Is he like, because obviously who cares about the National Review? Like you're not going to buddy up with them ever anyway. And I get Reason Magazine and everything, but the Libertarian Party seems to be changing a little bit. And although I'm not a party girl, I do. I mean, I'm a party girl, but Mm. (laughs) a party girl. So I just wonder if he's just like all those people are on his shit list. I heard him say on another show, not mine, that he feels that that was the the way the LP was moving prior to this Mises caucus takeover. And so yes. I don't know for certain, I don't want to put words in his mouth that he would say, well, now I like the LP more with this new leadership. Well, just not, not hate them. Yeah, I suppose he doesn't hate yeah. them. And Hold a grudge. Correct, yeah. You know, because some of the people that were in charge prior to this new takeover, it didn't surprise me at all that those people would cancel that film. Yeah, and actually, if the new people are there to correct those wrongs, you wouldn't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. I'm just curious. I'm not at all involved in that, but I was just... Me too. was thinking of taking an interest. And I was like, you know, it, is that these guys or what? No, it's not the new regime. <laughs> yes, but right. I would say for those listening, because I know some of those new regime types listen to this show, maybe an apology to Jason Rink from the LP platform on Twitter would be appropriate. And to mention that that was the old... And now they're in with the news type of thing. So we'll see if anyone listening can have that done. I think that would be appropriate. That's a great idea. That would certainly answer my question. Yeah, exactly. Then we could see where the lines have been drawn or not. I got to get a bio on you. It's your first time. I know a lot of my listeners yeah. know who you are and they'll be excited to, for this episode. But for those that don't, give just a short bio on who you are, what you do. And I kind of have some more bio questions for you, but I'll let you have the floor first. I love them. I love them. I love to explain all the weird, um, different avenues that my life has taken. But very briefly, I was not a broadcaster, podcaster, interested in media at all. I was really a math person. I was getting my 
CFA, Chartered Financial Analyst credential. And like, it was so challenging. It's like the hardest test you'll ever take. It's three years of tests. Oh. And at the same time, like I happened to stumble onto Hans Hermann Hoppe because I noticed like George Bush signed into law like a light bulb ban. And I was like, okay, the American experiment is over. <laughs> like, There's no hope for self-limiting government. Self-limiting government is a utopian fantasy. You know, like they like to say that self-ordering society is a utopian fantasy. Well, self-limiting government is a utopian fantasy. And so I stumbled onto Hans Herbert and Hoppe when my brain was like really on fire and totally embraced the idea of anarcho-capitalism and all that. And I happened to meet a radio producer who just loved what I had to say. And she just thought it was either funny or true. I'm not sure which, but I ended up, she asked me to do a radio interview, whatever audition. And I had a radio show until last, till two years ago, I guess now, beginning of COVID. And then I started podcasting around that time because I kind of could tell which way the winds were blowing, that the place was getting bought by somebody else. And but like my last show, I was unceremoniously dismissed after saying like, hey, did you guys hear about Event 201? Like this this uh, lockdown, whatever, isn't two weeks. It's going to be two years and buckle up. And that's where the CDC was. So I had already started doing a podcast, a daily show with my producer because that's what I was kind of being groomed for. It takes a really long time on a big station like that to get a prime spot. But I was being groomed for it. And... We just were kind of ready to do it on our own. So we made it into a daily podcast in like mm -hmm. a radio style where we just did the news of the day every day. But then we did that for like two or three years. And just recently, because of some changes in my personal life, I'm not able to do it every single day. So I'm starting to just dig into one topic uh -huh. at a time, maybe two or three times a week and do that as a deep dive. So it's deep dives with Monica Perez. And I also love to chat. I've got um, a nice rapport going on Twitter. So if you want to actually speak to me at Monica Perez Show, I've really struck the balance. So I can pretty much talk to everybody who talks to me directly, like not through the DM. I can't get to all my messages, but like, and I'm shadow banned. So the only people I talk to are people who are on the same page. Like that's what they do. Like they're okay with you in a silo, just in an echo chamber. That's why they couldn't really have me on the radio because just people were like, oh, wow, I didn't even know. It's like, you know, you have to just talk to people who already know. But it is more fun for me, but it doesn't have as much reach. Prior to that last radio episode, what were you generally talking about? Well, there were three things that I did not talk about because okay. I felt like there were enough people on both sides and they were never going to see the other side. And all they would do is totally discredit like what everything else I said. So like 9-11, I would not, didn't generally talk about it. I wouldn't like, I wasn't afraid of it. In the beginning, I didn't even know 9-11 was an inside job. Like in the beginning of the radio thing, I would say it's not. And people accepted me for that. I wouldn't talk about abortion, even though I'm Catholic. I have a son with Down syndrome. The audience was totally conservative. But I just, as a libertarian, it's a, I mean, we can talk, I'm happy to talk about it now. But like, I just, it's hard to explain my nuanced positions on that to the casual conservative listener. And that's what it was. And then just like the wars in the Middle East and people just got really freaked out when I would say like, it's not, it's a violation of other people's sovereignty. No, I would talk about it. I would talk about it. But what I got was a lot of like evangelical, like promised land kind of thing. Like they would say that the whole Middle East issue was a religious war to protect Israel Mm. And I just, I didn't want to get into that element of it. I would absolutely talk about 
how wrong it was to violate the sovereignty of those countries, but just the like weird religious political continuum around that, those wars was something I just, I just couldn't, I don't even, I can't quote the Bible. Like I can't, I couldn't argue it. So Mm -hmm, I just mm -hmm. let that go. But was it, I still am not great with that subject. Like I'm absolutely great on just war and stuff, but Uh like people talking about Israel, you can talk about the political, you can talk about, their politics, their foreign policy, all that. And it just always turns to, you know, identity issues. And even on the right, like I feel like Trump brought identity issues to the right. So you just, it's almost impossible to talk about principles, I think, when it starts to get to where it's like identity issues. Was it one of those AM talk shows that, you know, I kind of grew up prior to, let's say, podcast listening. And the AM slot was kind of conservative, Rush Limbaugh, Yes, I had Rush's slot, but on Saturdays. So everyone who was tuned into Rush, you know, from three to six or whenever he was on that, Monday through Friday, they'd get in their car to drive their kids to soccer and they would hear me. And that's when they would start arguing all that stuff, like to the death, like like, just, you know, Arabs don't have, they don't have rights. You know what I mean? They don't have rights. And I'm like, okay, because rights were given, like they shouldn't be protected by the Bill of Rights. I'm like, because the government gives us rights. You know, and it's like, no, not the rights are from God. I'm like, okay, but they don't get them. Right. Like, what are you talking about? Like, Gitmo is like, what are you talking about? And I have my theories about Gitmo anyway. I don't think it's about terrorism. I think it's those people who are inside and they have all this insider information. You can't convict them because you'd have to bring up all the fact that they were working for us. Mm -hmm. So they just like warehouse them forever, you know, and they, and these people just didn't understand the slippery slope of, saying that some people don't get rights. And now look, they're applying that theory to domestic terrorism. You call somebody a terrorist and they don't get the rights. It's like, that's guilty until proven innocent. And no one doesn't get rights. Nobody. Even if they are like, quote, terrorists, then you have what Ron Paul used to say, there's letters of mark and reprisal. Like there are processes for individuals who are not being controlled by their own, you know, by the governments in the territory where they're operating from. And that's something very specific and completely foreseen by the founders. So that's another thing people would say. Like, well, the founders couldn't have anticipated any of this stuff. I'm like, yes, they absolutely did. They were they yes. were literally pirates, privateers. That's mm-hmm. what they were. Like, we have mechanisms for this. It was a doable... Like, the American experiment would have been viable. I mean, it was George Bush who signed in curly light bulbs. It's, it wasn't... It was not just the left. <laughs> was that during the Bush... Or let me think. Or is that the Obama years that you had this radio show? It was all... The Obama years. So I started basically in 2011 and I went through 2020. So I got all the Obama years oh. and then I found something interesting. The second, so this is my thing that I've, anybody who listens to me has heard this, but that I would call Obama out for violating the constitution like all day long. And I mean, big snaps, everybody loved that. And then when Trump came along, I was literally quibbling about semantics when I would quote the constitution. But there was something that I found out in 2012 or was it 2016? No, 2016 was Trump. So 2012 mm-hmm. was Obama's re-election. And somebody at the radio station said to me, you know you want Obama to win, right? I was like, I don't want Obama to win. I want Ron Paul to win. Like, yeah. wasn't that the year he actually had a chance? Like, he won Iowa. And, uh, and they're like, no, you want Obama to win because that's when our ratings are the highest. Like your mm. ratings are high when you're ranting against the other guy. And and they were right, like for me specifically, yeah. because I had the exact same attitude towards Trump as I had towards Obama. I'm like, can someone please read the Bill of Rights? Like, can someone please? And then people hated me. 
That's interesting because CNN is the same way, but I suppose on the opposite side and because their ratings have tanked, obviously. But when Trump was in office, their, their ratings were high. And, and who trained him? Who trained him to be a TV star? Jeff Zucker, who ran yeah. CNN. He mm-hmm. was the guy who did The Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Like, he has a picture of Donald Trump on his desk and he had it before 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he should have it now. He should be I know. praying that I mean, he comes back into office because... <laughs> his, only, only Zucker can, uh, can handle it. Have your views changed politically or culturally or anything over the last couple of years? Because 2020, 2021, there's been a lot of shifting and understandably yeah. so some of the time. People that we know, Mark Claire myself, Pete Quinones, and folks have undergone some change in direction on certain issues. Has that happened to you? Well, I'll tell you, you know, my thinking is definitely evolving a little bit. But the reason I stumbled upon that Hans Hermann Hoppe thing was that I was listening to Lou Rockwell because my uncle, Mm. who was a priest, but I guess a little bit radical, he had told me to read America's Great Depression by Murray Rothbard. And I think he'd actually been, I think my uncle might have been on Lou Rockwell's show once or twice, like, or something like that. I mean, my uncle was... Well, he was a Franciscan, so he was totally took a vow of poverty, slept on the floor, wasn't really affiliated with the church. He was really an outsider. And I think he was a missionary in South America for a while and like in the 60s or the 70s when things were wacky. So um, he's been dead a long time, so I can't really follow up with him. But I kind of got turned on to this whole line of thinking through listening to Lou Rockwell, who I realized was paleo back then. Mm-hmm. Like he was like the first kind of paleo mm-hmm. up there at the first And I remember the thing that I observed about that was, and I agreed with it, was that not so much that you need a conservative culture, like um, don't screw around, kind of like a moral foundation Mm -hmm. for libertarianism to work. But my position was that libertarianism fosters a moral culture because, and if if you have kids and you learn anything about parenting or even psychology or behavior modification, any of that, The only thing, I think I might say this definitively, in my observation, the only thing that works in changing someone's behavior is natural consequences. Natural consequences. So when they turn off the power in my town because there's a thunderstorm, but the thunderstorm didn't actually blow up a relay station, that's not a natural consequence. That makes me angry and not want to do what they say. But if it actually blew up, I'd be like, I'm turning the hairdryer off while while the TV's running, whatever vacuums running. But so natural consequences will do that. And you can see, like, I use sexual morality as an example because it's so obvious from everything from like STDs to men aggressing against women to children. You know, it's hard enough for children to adapt to this horrible, technologically inappropriate world without two parents who love each other and love them and have their feet on the ground. Like, I just feel like little human beings are so hard to even, you know, to nurture physically, but emotionally and mentally, it's almost impossible for a team effort of good faith to work, much less like single parents or whatever, all the stuff that comes out of casual sex. And I'm not even saying like I'm, you know, preaching abstinence or anything. I'm just saying there are natural consequences across the board for individuals, for society that morality, it is obviously true, whether it came down from God or it emerged from 10,000 years of civilization. It's true. So I always had an affinity for that. And I always felt strongly that 
Like I became more not judgmental at all. Like my cultural conservatism is based totally on my own life and how I want to live it. Uh, but I just don't feel confident understanding sociology and psychology, which I think is like mostly crap, but it might not be. Like, I don't know. I'm not judging. I'm not saying I wouldn't. I just don't feel confident. But for me, I do think that's correct, that a conservative, a culturally conservative lifestyle is good. But I still was completely committed to, you know, I, I can't call it an anarcho-capitalism anymore because capital is just you might as well take fucking green crayon and <laughs> scribble a picture of George Washington on a piece of printer paper. There's no capital anymore, you know, and they've totally messed with even capital investment by mm-hmm. making, you know, completely taking labor out of the equation through the Zoom stuff. It's just a horrible mess. The closest thing I will say is I'm a philosophical agorist. Like, to the extent capital equals money as opposed to capital equipment, which I'm totally on board with, I can't say that. But I just don't believe that self-limiting government is possible at all. However, and I know this is something that PQ, he's very bold. He will never say, I'm not, I don't feel qualified to judge it. And we need people like that. Like, that's good. That, that keeps you thinking. I've talked to him about this, that, you know, maybe it's possible. And this was always the sticking point with pure kind of anarcho-capitalism. I think I always wanted to talk to Robert Nozick because I think he went from being an anarchist and went back and uh, mm-hmm. he's dead now, so I can't. But I always wanted to, I was like, geez, I used to love him. Like, what happened to, what happened to Nozick? You know? mm-hmm. And now I realize that, and I knew it, I recognized at the time, but that there's a problem with liberty in that there are such bad actors Yes, And I think in a state of nature or a state of anarchy, the bad actors could easily be squared away. Um, There's this idea, I was talking to Bellamy Fitzpatrick, who's a green anarchist. He was saying like the natural human society is 150 people. And so if you have Bill Gates walking around in that society telling you what to do, you beat him up. He doesn't beat you up, you beat him up. He's a nerd and a jerk. Um, But if he comes with 50,000 troops or he pays people off about 50,000 troops, then you've got a real problem. And the problem with that is that he can access a seat of government that's already been instituted, that we have not managed to open people's eyes to say, okay, like George Bush's curly light bulbs is the last straw. You know, we're going, (laughs) we're going agorist here. We're just no more, you know, take the pens away from these guys and be done with it. But we didn't. And they took that very concentrated power that the Constitution gives that seat of government. And they are absolutely a pathocracy. They are a government that works against us, that takes our money, takes our authority, and works against us and is in league with foreign powers, whether it's other countries or what, but they are foreign entities that are outside. They're Just because they're rich doesn't mean they're not privateers. They are pirates on the world stage, these globalists and they are controlling our government. It's totally unconstitutional. They don't even have these illegitimate treaties like with the UN, like the World Economic Forum. It's like this backdoor fascism. It's a real problem. And it only exists because we had that government in place. Now, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You're never... I mean, even Ted Kaczynski was like, at a certain point, and he wrote this on, I think, 2004, at a certain point with the surveillance, you cannot mount a resistance You cannot mount resistance. And the way they go after the guns, they go out after the resistance level, the resistance caliber guns, not the target justifying guns. They'll let you keep the handguns. Why? All the murders they're worried about are handguns, all of them. And they want to take, because they are really in control when it comes to any kind of spontaneous resistance. So 
I realized I was very long-winded, but it's a talk show. In the end, you know, I am open to the possibility that the only answer is to fight fire with fire. And I have always said that the libertarians die by the sword, but they don't live by the sword. They'll always go for right. a law like open borders. I mean, open borders just, I mean, it's like water. You can't, you know, if you have no mm-hmm. vessel, you know, if it's not one vessel to another vessel, okay, water can reach its level. But if you are going to take a, like a glass of water and submerge it in the ocean, that doesn't make sense. Like you have to recognize that they've bastardized the constitution to the point where people are going to vote away your rights. Even if the constitution says with the 10th amendment, those are rights that cannot be voted away at a federal level. We have kind of abandoned that that line. And then they bring in people from other countries who don't understand, who cannot conduct a discourse in the language of discourse, of political discourse here. And they come from a place where they're taught that you vote for stealing from people and giving it to you. And that's not going to work. And that's a setup. And it's because there's a system in place that's unjust. And the only way it got there was that we argued, we fought to have a bill of rights. That was the contract I don't believe that there's a contract, a social contract, but we do have one in writing and we might as well defend our position. And I said, well, I don't like the contract, so I'm giving up everything. You can have it all. It's like, you can't, you have to fight it. And I would just, my argument would be just restore the Bill of Rights, restore the 10th Amendment. That would be fine. That's all I really need. And and let's do that. But that doesn't seem to be working either. So I'm I'm open to other ideas. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. I tend to think that, at some point, there's going to have to be a breakup of parts of this country, a secession at some point, because, I mean, the system was in place as it was with the Constitution, 50 states now. I understand it was less than 50 at first, but it didn't work. And so clearly, there was some type of weakness in the initial design because it allowed things to fester and fester and fester in these powerful NGOs and, and bad actors now take advantage of a system that's in place because it started as a constitutional republic. Unfortunately, it hurts to say that to some people and hear that, but there's obviously inherent weaknesses because look where we're at now. And I suspect if Texas could break off or if California, interestingly enough, you're in California. One scenario I've floated and I could see is if Trump were to win in 2024, which I suspect is a strong possibility, a blue state leaving the union might be the way to go to open that possibility for other states. Because if it's a red state, they are always going to use the, oh, this is states' rights again. These are racist. This is like the days of the Civil War. These are slave, you know, what they want slavery. But if it's California and Trump were to allow it, then all of a sudden it becomes okay with the regime. Have you thought about this? Yeah, that that would be great. I mean, I think they should secede, but when you talk about like Texas seceding, I actually think it would be better if, because I think about the Civil War. So the Civil War kind of, the South, by seceding, the South really lost just Mm -hmm. already by seceding because they lost their seat at the table. If it was about slavery, they really shouldn't have seceded because the fugitive slave law was in place. Like if they Mm -hmm. really cared about their slaves, they had a buffer zone. And then they, they had an open border after that. So... I never really understood why they did that. I mean, if that were really the cause. So they kind of lost by, you know, kind of day one, they were in a weakened position. And I I think I noticed this guy on one of my shows, Binkley played a clip from a guy, Stephen Marsh, who, who wrote a book, The Next Civil War. And when I heard him interviewed separately 
from the book, he said, I actually don't think it's going to be a civil war, but I just think that those people will secede. And I worry about that with the church too, the Catholic church. I feel like there's, you know, I'd be a schismatic, you know, because I think Frankie drinks baby's blood, but yeah. but that's not good because the Catholic church is very big and the strength is in the size of it. But what if Texas, and this isn't the answer to your question yet, but I just have to throw it out before I forget, is that what if Texas were to exercise what I consider to be its right like in writing to become five states, like think about what that would do to the Senate. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm, They have mm -hmm. a right to be five states. So there would be eight more senators from Texas. And I I don't think it would change Congress too much because Congress is like apportioned by population. But but that would really be a game changer, I think. And you wouldn't be giving up the, you know, the power of being part of the system. I, I want to secede personally. You know, uh-huh. like I want yeah, my yeah, house for to sure. succeed. Yeah, right. But if California left, I suspect you wouldn't stay in California would be my oh, guess. Oh, I don't want to stay in California. Right. I don't. I am here 100 I'm in a rental house. I am here 100% because my husband's the breadwinner and we have three kids in school and I have a special needs son. Like there's no way I'm ever going to be able to like work outside the home and like I just think of my husband as like dragging this like huge, you know, it was like a huge house on his back, you know, and (laughs) kids hanging out the windows and dogs on the roof. And I just think like, this guy is just like a plow horse. And um, there is absolutely no way we can't go where his jobs are. But he's from Texas and we're hoping to move to Dripping Springs. So I I think that would, yeah. I love it. I need a view. Yeah. That's not far from you. No, I'm in Lockhart, which is about maybe an an hour from from Dripping Springs. And they have that great barbecue place up in Dripping yes. Springs. <laughs> well, they have, well, you know, my city, Lockhart's the barbecue capital of Texas. Yes. Is that where they have the great sausage? Is Elgin's sausage there? It's not Elgin. It's Lockhart's sausage, which is better than Elgin. Elgin does have okay. their own, but ours beats theirs. Right. Just, it's the jalapeno cheddar that I'm crazy for. We have that. But yeah. I, I'll tell you a courtship story. When I met yeah. my husband, we were in school in California and I was not in the mood for a hayseed. Like I had gone out with a European <laughs> guy, like a super sophisticated European guy. And I was, I was still like pining after him. And this guy was like brewing his own beer. He has a smoker. I'm like, I don't, I don't think so. But he was just like, you're mine. You're cool, smart, and pretty. That does not come along too often. You're mine. And I was like, uh. And I was talking to a friend of his, he's like, he'll surprise you. Don't worry. Well, he surprised me one night. He came to my door at like 10.30 at night. He had been interviewing in Texas and he came, so he had like the white shirt on. You don't normally see that from a student with like the sleeves rolled up and half untucked. And I was like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, I'm not the booty call type. Like, what are you doing here? He's like, I have a present for you. And I look at it and it's like tinfoil. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, come on in. And he opens it up and it's uh, brisket. I'm from New York. Like to me, that that's was, like uh, London broil. You know what I mean? Right, I'm like, that's yeah. not, you're not doing me any favors bringing me brisket. <laughs> you know, now bagels, pizza. Uh, and he just couldn't even sit down at the table. He was just like on the, he's like, I've been waiting for you. And it was sitting on my lap and it really smelled the entire time on the plane. Everybody was mad at me. But I didn't even take a single bite until I could bring it to you. And I was like, I don't get brisket at all. <laughs> and then now I get it. Now I have a, a smoker the size of my fridge. It's painted like, Burnt orange has a huge long horn on it oh at the end goodness. of my driveway. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. He he has one on order from Franklin, like a 
60-gallon oh. propane tank. Yes. So we have to move to Texas. Like, there's mm-hmm. no question about it. But for now, we're in LA. And it's been a nightmare. The lockdown has been really... <laughs> my, one of my kids like will give me a high five. Like, I can't believe you got us through that, mom. Like, right on. Like, you know, because it was it was hairy. Like, we were new enough here. We didn't really have enough of a foundation. So when the kids were in lockdown, they had little friend groups, little cliques were locked into place in what was called pods. Like what could be worse than high school cliques, but effing parents and forcing them. I mean, it was, but these kids are battle. What do you call that? When you, when you've battle trained, battle tested. Yes, they're battle tested. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to send them out to the world and, Maybe they'll maybe they'll be one of the natural elite that peace looking for. Yes, we need it. We need you always need a natural elite. Right now, the elite that we have, it's not natural for one and, and two, the low the IQ and it's getting worse and worse. One of the things people struggle with, including myself constantly, and I want to ask you about this because I think you might have some answers. The age-old quarrel, the fight when I see, let's say Things like COVID happening and, and the response to COVID, I should say, and and new restrictions or masking and whatever the case may be. Are these people stupid or is this malicious? And that's always, I know there's nuance there and it's a kind of a mix of both. Do you have a, a way that, like an algorithm you work through in your mind that helps you with this? So you're talking about from the top. You're not talking about the morons in my grocery store. Yeah, right, right. I understand the like, people at the there's top. There's literally one lady walking around like this so nobody could come within six feet of her. I'm just like, stay home, stay home. You know, <laughs> like, no. no, you're talking about the people who are pushing it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The people you're talking about in the grocery store are just the idiot dupes that the people on the top need to kind of enforce their craziness. We saw this over COVID. That was one of my disappointments. Maybe my red pill moments away from parts of libertarianism is when I look around and I thought, if people just hear the message of liberty back then, they'll become libertarian until I started seeing people work for free as arms of the state to shut Like Buck's got people at his house, call 911. Now we want the cops at these. It's like, I thought you were against the police. Okay. So I looked around and I thought maybe the message of liberty isn't as contagious as I thought. So that was troublesome, well, but I have a few things to respond okay. to that. I like it. You one keep notes. Had, you keep notes as I ask questions. What a problem. Yeah, I just want to make sure that I don't okay, miss anything. Go I'm good. You know, I'm not. I don't lose my train of thought too much, but I want to no, make sure awesome. that anything. So I have a glossary on my old website, MonicaPerezShow.com, which got taken down. I was like one of the first people to get like, like uh, devastatingly canceled. Really terrible. But um, but that's still there. It's monicapressure.com is gl- the glossary. And one of the, one of my earliest entries was manufacturing advocacy. So Noam Chomsky gets credit for manufacturing consent, but it's the, it's the advocacy that's the problem. And I noticed that on my show because they would advocate for these wars. I'm like, why do you want to invade Syria? What is in right. it for you? What is your problem? You're going to go to hell for that. Like, mm-hmm. what the heck? Like, think... But they could not think. So they were doing that. Um, I think uh, that one silver lining on what you're saying is that the vast majority of people who listen to my show have told me, or I should say the feedback is majority, is that they used to think I was a little bit out there, blah, blah, blah. But when COVID happened, I mean, it was worse than I ever expected. 
you know, I would just say theoretically, it was like when I used to say theoretically, the government sells you security. So theoretically, Mm -hmm. they should want you to be insecure. And then when the scales fell off my eyes about 9-11, I was like, oh my gosh, like the theory is absolutely 100% true and they are actually doing it. They're actually hurting you so that you love them more. (laughs) It's like what Bismarck said to the Kaiser, like there's like (laughs) this industrial revolution is giving people surplus wealth. We better take it and give it back to them later so they will love us in in their dependency. So they know what they're selling and they're making sure that you're buying it. But people were, uh, they, they, I, a lot of people did wake up in the COVID. And I am, I, in that regard, I'm not very white-pilled because of how people like fell for Trump so hard. Not, not that I care about him either way. I'm not emotional about him, but he never defended the Bill of Rights ever. And I just, that's, I don't, I don't care who your socialist is, if it's a national socialist or an international socialist <laughs> or whatever, somebody who believes a CEO of some technocratic government, I don't care. I want, I want the Fourth Amendment back. So, uh, so there, so what people kept batting, like they took the Ron Paul movement and they, and they redirected it into the Trump thing. And that was really mm-hmm. sad for me. So this has gotten some of those people back, I think. Um, maybe not. And then now they're trying to get it to where those people become like far right fascist kind of thing. Like they're, they're, they're taking the transgenderism stuff and the race stuff just yeah. so far that you're getting people who are in the middle to have to choose sides. It's like when my kid, one of my kids showed up, my son showed up for school, first day of school in this private school in California. Um, one of the kids said to him, are you a, a feminist or a misogynist? Oh my and God. My son said neither. And he said, you have to choose. Yeah. It's like prison. Are you going to go with the yeah. white guys, the Hispanics exactly. or the blacks? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And as far as like the powers, I would look at like wh- how this happened in Locks Up because I've been thinking a lot about that. And uh, you can see in the event 201 stuff, you see like 12 people sitting around the table and a lot of other people at high levels. I, you know, I think Universal was there. Johnson & Johnson was there. The CDC was there. Another CDC, the CDC of China was there. I think Hilton Hotels or maybe Hyatt. Yes. I don't want to slander one. And, you know, one of them yeah. was there. Pritzker. There was a lot of that. Right. And, and so you see, sometimes you see these like, and maybe I notice it more with the chicks, like that they're, they're true believers. They're just happy to be there. Is it, is it, um, he's got a, Funny name, like uh, the guy who does the cathedral, not Michael Mouse, but like the guy who actually Curtis Yarvin, Mitch yes. Smallbug, yes, yes, that's the one, right? Um, I know Yarvin. I know I've seen him on Pete's show, but uh, okay. So his idea that they that affirmative action, let's just call it. Maybe I, I don't know his. So I, I've been told about, it, but that affirmative action is meant to make sure that people are put in place who owe their position to the paradigm, to the people in power. Um, and they will, and they're there because it's very clear they will put that first. And they know that if they don't put that first, they're not there anymore. So, so you have a lot of that. And maybe that's why it is the chicks. It just feels like some manner of chick is just like so happy. This is what I always used to say about the Wall Street Journal readers who would listen to, to like the Rush stuff on my radio station that they were really proud of themselves and thought they were smart because they could understand what the Wall Street Journal was telling them. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, but your problem is 
that yes, it's complicated and hard to penetrate. It's like when you have a bear in captivity, you hide his food because he just doesn't even want it if he can't look for it. But what you're not realizing it is that when you when you look through the board there, when you kick through the board, that's where the propaganda is. Like you are getting sucked into that. And what you need to realize is there's a nut, there's a board behind the board and they don't. So it's at that level where you get like that bureaucracy. Some of them are true believers that like it's their sense of image and identity. I'm talking about like that, that tier. There's like a whole bunch of different tiers. Yeah. And um, and and at that it's maybe right under that tier of like true believers, but absolutely like I, it's, you know, the, um, I call it a, like an ethical glass ceiling is one way of looking at it, but it's really like a truth glass ceiling. Like they'll be all woke about corporate, whatever, but they'll never look above at their own, that their own controllers or behind them at their own party. But, uh, you know, maybe right under that is that is the bureaucracy, the bureaucrats that I see on the ground here who are actually making like the life at my kids' private schools worse than my special son who goes to public school. Like didn't have a vax mandate, lost the mask sooner than the private schools. Mm. And and I realized like at that level, it's more the, uh, like if you ever read Russian literature, I always love Russian literature because it's great, like really plot oriented and it's just good. I love it. Like Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, but I never really got the archetype that was central to a lot of that of this bureaucrat, the bureaucrat man. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's kind of like the Willie Loman of like the Russian czarist bureaucracy. And you would just it like, and, I, and when Tolstoy would describe like their super fine China and their suits and their banal conversation that was about like the latest book or whatever. I just like, as a really poor kid, I thought that sounded awesome. I was like, mm-hmm. I would love to do that. I really want, I love those thin rimmed teacups and I would just love that, you know? And it took until I like looked through the board, you know, kicked through the next board. And I was just like, oh my gosh, those people are awful. And I remember at Harvard, I went to Harvard, transferred from community college to Harvard. And I got to Harvard and um, I, A, I realized like people who lived in those houses, like a lot of times they're, you know, the, like my dad was a rough guy, truck driver and other things like that. And, you know, it was not an easy life. He had nine kids and we were, really didn't have, I, we had enough, but just enough. And he, but he loved us, you know, he loved us. So like if he was mad at you or, you know, somebody got uh, like a, corporal punishment, it was because you were like, got, you know, got something wrong that mattered. You know, it wasn't because you broke something. So, so when I saw people there, like whose parents were in the government and they didn't really understand right from wrong, like the ideology, I, I was like, why, how could anyone believe that the Democrat, you know, I was just thinking in those terms still, the Democrat ideology is correct. And then I, and I, and I realized like, it's not that it was correct. It was in their interest because the more money and power at the government level, the more that you can just bribe one guy to get a contract that you don't really deserve and has way bigger profits than if it was in a free market where you'd have this race to economic zero. You know, it's in there. And my father used to always say like, how are rich people Democrats? I don't get it. Like, don't they hate taxes? And then I found out that, oh, they don't, Taxes are nothing. Like they're getting that back 10 times because they're getting it through the top. So so I saw like this whole level of um that at the political level, people they it's 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 not about 
trying to figure out how to do the right thing. And I think most of us are about that. And that serves them because they don't, we don't even see what they're up to. And I, and I think there's a lot of that, but um, so that would be like on the more sophisticated end of the politicians doing stuff for their own benefit and their own ego. But then, but this lower level, like bureaucrat, they, I think they just take themselves super seriously and, and some instinct in them knows that if they actually try to read the vax trials, I mean, I've mm-hmm. seen it myself. I've seen people say, well, I don't, I don't want to see that. Don't show me that. I don't want to yes, see that. So it's going to be hard for me to function to yeah. see that. And so it's it's in self-interest, but I think a lot of it has to do with mental blocks. And I think the people who get rewarded are people whose who's, um, thinking and ability to think is extremely narrow. That's why like, I hate STEAM and STEM. Like, It's really meant to take the smartest people and make sure that they have one area of expertise and that they never step out. So even when I went to uh, go on the radio... I um, was worried because I didn't know a lot about anything. I was a dilettante. And I was like, you know what? Every voter is a dilettante. So if I can't figure it out, you don't get to do it. <laughs> and that's how, <laughs> I, that's how I, I proceeded from there. But yeah, so I think, I think there's the evil overlords, but at all levels from just right, even at the very top, I would say, there are true believers who think that we're just too stupid to govern ourselves and we should be lucky to have them. And they deserve most of the money because they're doing us all a favor by keeping us from having lice. <laughs> when you were, when you did the radio show, I mean, the, the years that you did that are extremely transformative years for society from where I sit, because there's a lot of shifting around. The Trump years were really in like nothing I've ever seen in my, my adult life for sure. Let's see, how would I phrase this? The propaganda seemed to be more blatant and especially over the last couple of years and more obvious to more people. And I was delighted to see people like my parents saying things that just five years ago, Alex Jones would have said. And now I see people that I would consider kind of boomer conservative types being red pilled on certain things. Not everything yet. There's there's still ways to go. But did you see these shifting sands basically while you're working at that radio station? I mean, because a lot of that was your audience, I suppose. Yeah, well, my mother's a good example. She was like a William F. Buckley conservative back in the day. She actually worked at the National Review when... That's who I'm named after, by the way. Oh my gosh, wow. Yes, unfortunately, but yeah. Yeah, because he's a CIA agent. But yeah. um, but it's the idea, you know, like I always said that Correct. about Thomas Jefferson and Martin Luther King. It's like, you can go find the foibles, but the message that they had to tell, like, I get more out of a limited hangout than they get out of me. And I almost named my daughter Reagan, so I would have been mm. in the same boat okay. as you. And uh, so I, so my mom was was one of those and they, and they didn't, I, to their credit, they rejected Buckley when he um, not only fired Joe Sobran, but he did it, they did it rudely. By facts. So Joe Sobran was great. He would call himself a philosophical anarchist. I like mm-hmm. that. He's great. And uh, so, so she would make fun of me because like everything's fake with you. I mean, mm-hmm. everything. And then I show up at her house one day. She's like, ah, that's fake news. It's like, what? Fake? What? Fake news? And she's like, yeah, you know, Trump was telling us blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, Trump is fake. 
But uh, I accept the fake news. Like Trump is not Batman. Like that's what we used to say on my show. Like Trump is, or, you know, we wondered, was Trump really Batman? Was like working behind, was he billionaire by day and superhero by night? And I never for a minute thought that that was true. I was like, he's not, he's, he's pulling back the arrow and then he's just going to let it fly. Like you're going to have a reaction that tells people that this is what happens when you don't get in line with the bureaucracy. Like this, this, mm. this society needs to be controlled from the top because it's technologically advanced. Of course, they keep putting policies in place that promote this technological advancement, which as a libertarian, you know, like if there should be a give and take on marginal cost of labor versus marginal cost of capital and investment. And these technologies are things that that, that calculus would never have yielded. Voice to text, driverless cars, none of that. Mm. None of mm-hmm. that. So, uh, so I see that, that, but it's, it's the same kind of thing I worry about with Tucker Carlson is that, Mm. you know, his dad was a big propagandist, state Mm -hmm. propagandist. And, um, I feel like these guys are developing, uh, trust. So Trump was a, a cult of personality. Tucker has more, you know, he's coherent and he doesn't really say too much stuff that I don't like. He's a little, mm, you know, tacky, like, and and I know that's not his real thing. He's, I think, he's a pretty upper crust guy. So, like, to make fun of people's names and that kind of thing, it's appealing to the baser instincts. And I and I think that Trump brought identity politics to the right, which they've been trying to do for like thirty years and could not do it. We were Ron Paul people, like we, he, Ron Paul spoke to the the right worried about, like the conservatives worried about his position on wars, which they thought was a dangerous thing. Like his position was dangerous, which absolutely was not. On the contrary, but they understood that he was right about the Constitution, about fiscal stuff and all of that. And then Trump changed the narrative to where it did not have anything to do with that kind of ideology. It was about these people have been rude to you and I'm going to get them back on your behalf. So let your mm-hmm. anger out. Like they, they, they went from um, vote, like they, they harnessed, Trump harnessed the hate. The way that normally mm-hmm. you will vote against someone you hate the most, so you'll vote for Trump because you hate Hillary, Trump was like, I'm your hater. Vote for me because I hate. And I'm not, I'm not hating on him at all. I'm just saying, like, that's what that was in my mind. And uh, and that, and so the transformation that I saw was that the right finally pivoted to the framework that the left had started, mm. you know, I mean, really in earnest, probably in the 80s, really, really in earnest. And then with Obama, when he finally said, we're giving up on the white working class, yeah, that was right. like a leaked document. And I and I thought, hold the phone. Like this, this is really significant. Not just that he said it. It wouldn't matter at all if they were talking about that behind closed doors, but that they let it out. They put people on notice that that's where the battle lines were going to be drawn. And and I thought that we would have, like having a black president, we'd finally have to bury that wedge issue. And and, he, and I, I did not anticipate that he would just make the race issue absolutely worse, really worse. Him and Eric Holder, really worse. It's, it really is tragic. I've literally shed a tear over that because I was happy. Mm. I was like, I'll, I'll take a little socialism if we can just put that behind us. And then uh, they brought in Trump to carry that on and make look like there was that, People were Republican because Obama was black. You know, it just, it really, that's what happened. I think they made it, they brought the Frankfurt School home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about this perfect storm you've been talking a lot about and false flags because I, 
again, it's always this battle. Is this a false flag or is this some level of incompetence? Or like you've been talking about, is this the perfect storm? I keep seeing. And now after hearing your stuff on the perfect <laughs> yes. storm, I'm going to see it and hear it yeah. everywhere. I know I it. think that's called the Biter-Meinhof effect. Well, Where like you hear something and then yes. it's everywhere. <laughs> uh-huh. You learn a new thing. Well, I've learned this perfect storm listening to you over the last couple of weeks, anticipating this interview to keep you using this phrase when bad things happen, of course. And it's from, from the fuel prices. It's funny too, with some of these things, I, I think that a lot of, we'll call them normies or NPCs, they're programmed to use like one word to explain something. It's Putin or it's, it's COVID or greed. I, I hear that now, greed, well, this greed. And it's like with no nuance or a further explanation. I, I saw Biden, one of my favorite Biden moments, there's plenty of them, he was walking away from a microphone on an outdoor press conference and they said, uh, Mr. President, what about the rising fuel costs? And he just looks back and goes, Putin, and walks <laughs> off. And it's like, okay. But again, <laughs> these perfect storms happen. And you mentioned on one of your shows, it was a brilliant quote. I wish I wrote it down. I'm not sure that I did. But basically, kind of ask yourself, does this seem normal? Is this from my experience in life? Is what I just saw the way I think something would go down under these circumstances. And there's this battle. Is this a false flag event? Or is this a few things that they could kind of tweak around the edges and this perfect storm comes together? I'll kind it's of like the take cui it. bono of the bizarre. Correct. Yeah. And for so those listening... It's like if something's bizarre, like it just absolutely don't take their, their word for it. And... So what I think they did for the longest time, and you know they're going to keep doing it. They they'll take false flags, so they'll take some major event that you can't you can't deny, and they'll draw a straight line between some guy shoots up a school and uh, whatever body armor. You know, it's going to be something like that, or the, that was at the grocery store, like body armor. So they can make a false flag, and they can target a couple of things with that, but they get a lot of scrutiny and. You just can't keep them going forever. Uh, maybe you can. Maybe people will even just get fatigued by that. But if you're going to bring stuff home that really hurts people, you don't want them to smell a rat at all. But it's not organic. So they've been talking about... I found a quote from 2009. It was a big mainstream headline that the guy said, there's going to be food shortages, water shortages, mm -hmm. and energy shortages, fuel shortages by 2030. And it's going to cause civil unrest and a lot of suffering. And they they were not halfway there, you know, by 2020, and they and so then you get the pandemic. But but what would cause all those things to happen? And just look around; like our systems were perfect. And I hate to use this example because I think they're going to change it, and that really worries me a lot. But and this is like my one thing: like the state is not incompetent. You can say whatever you want about the state, but it's not incompetent. The FAA really is perfect. Like they might have fraud, they may have abuse, they may have inefficiencies, I don't know. But US-run commercial jets are safe. They yeah. just are. And they have been, really had a perfect record, except for a couple of incidents that I think were absolutely fake, that Southwest Airlines won. And then they took down a commuter jet, and they, I'm even counting commuter jets as being absolutely safe, that was carrying a 9-11 widow to Buffalo. Like so, that in my opinion, was a haystacking incident. But other than, I mean, they're just perfect. So, I mean, I really am hesitant to even say that. So, we, our systems work. And, and that's the government. So, if you want to talk about global supply chains, 
You want to talk mm-hmm. about corporations where those guys keep half the money? Those guys at the top, not half the money. But when you're making a $100 million bonus every year, and all you have to do is deploy resources to make sure that one thing gets to the other place, you're going to do that. And you're going to do it better than the FAA. And we know that because it always happens. So how many power outages have you had in your lifetime? Like, you remember them. Up until yeah. a couple of years ago, you actually remember that. I remember them. Three. You know? I remember once my mom had one and I was really worried about her. You know, I remember once my babies were small and I had to use little washcloths, cold washcloths to keep them cool because the AC didn't work. You know, it was in Dallas and it was 18. So, you know what I mean? Like, I remember them because it works. We, our systems work and they get more efficient, not less efficient. Chemtrails weren't Mm -hmm. there when I was a kid and they're there now, not because jets pollute more. Something else is going on. So Mm -hmm. when, when things just don't make sense, They can't just say, well, that ship sunk. All of a sudden, like ships are grounding and like the, you know, power things. They have to make a bunch of stuff up. But the fact is, almost all of it, even those little things that they're pointing arrows to, like these, it has to be five different things because we have redundancies built into all these systems. So it has to be a bunch of things go wrong. And uh, you can look back and every example I looked at, And I didn't just look at examples, I knew the answer. Every example I looked at, every single factor could I could trace back to a bad policy and and quite often a new policy. So even Mm -hmm. to the point where the airlines in London uh, are having staffing issues and they're not, all of a sudden, it seems to be a new law that they have to use 70% of their runway slots or they start losing them, even though there's a crisis. Like they should be suspending, temporarily suspending that rule. And instead, I believe they probably recently implemented it just from the language they're using about it. And that means that the airlines would like to fly fewer flights, put more people on one flight and use their staff wisely. They have to fly 70% capacity, actual individual planes to the point where some, for other reasons, some airlines are literally taking seats out of the planes to comply with regulatory rules. So, these are all these these perfect storms, but they all go back to policy. So it's so if you if this is something new and weird that's never happened to you before, don't just don't believe what they're telling you. And you know, because the answer is people always say, like, we need a policy. We need a policy. Yeah. I can fix this problem. Here's a policy. And I have always said, and will always say, and it's always been true. First thing you do is do no harm. First thing you do is look and see what policy created this problem. Because in a free market, you don't have systemic failures like that. And and you have like, even with the baby formula shortage, there's no baby formula. I could probably figure out how to make it in my house. I could Mm -hmm. probably, like if I got a dehydrator, I could figure out how to make it in my house. There's absolutely no way that you need one factory to make 20% of like the world's formula, something crazy like that. It's those external economies of scale are way smaller than that for something as simple as that. And it comes down to import restrictions, regulatory barriers. I read a whole article about somebody who's trying to get their baby formula out and they were like, it is virtually impossible. It's like, it's like a third world country with the government regulations that prevent free enterprise. And it didn't help, right? Because they're saying that Abbott had a bacteria problem, which it didn't. That is an effing lie. Um, and they recalled the product anyway, so they didn't just stop making it. They dragged it back, even though there was no bacterial contamination in those things. But uh, it all came down to government action. And and I think that anything that looks weird to you, you can 
find a policy behind it, and then you can even go further and find how it plugs into the World Economic Forum, sustainable stuff, UN 2030. Both of those things, ESG and SDG, both of those things tell you the big picture agenda. They literally have agenda wheels. (laughs) They call it the agenda. They call it the agenda. Yes. Explain that reference really quick. You're speaking on the World Economic Forum site, correct? Yes. So Davos... World Economic Forum has this wheel of doom, I call it, and it has, you know, maybe a hundred. It's it's really like a never-ending, it's like rabbit hole after rabbit hole. But you can click on something like geoeconomics and it shows you a wheel. And the spokes of the wheel are like 30 different things. So you can click on anti-globalism and it'll put the anti-globalism in the middle and it'll talk, you know, like neo-fascists or neo-Nazis mm-hmm. or, you know, baby formula, like it was in that anti-globalist thing. Like, this is what you anti-globalists are not going to be able to meet your basic needs. I'm like, in America, we can't feed our babies in America without Exxon being a monopoly? Like, what the F are you talking about? But you can find it all on that World Economic Forum website. And the US, the UN Agenda 2030 talks about it in the uh, from the perspective of governments pushing down policies World Economic Forum is talking about corporations pushing down these policies. So they're coming at it from two different directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mix of that would be fascism, it seems. Ah, yes, uh, exactly. And I, I think you could literally search any of these things that I call a perfect storm into those yes. websites and find it'll be an example of some agenda justification. Have you looked into these all of these processing plants and like meatpacking plants? There's all of these fires and explosions and this strange thing. And again, people, fortunately, I suppose, like Tucker, are starting to to catch on to this, like, quote unquote, mainstream outlets. Have you done research into any of those things? I haven't looked at that. And I remember kind of regretting that I didn't look into the natural, the naturalist healers, the natural medicine doctors, all like, there was a whole slew of them dying a couple of years ago. Mm. And I just didn't pick up on that. But I imagine you know, it's of the same thing, like like this movement. I think that the powers that be are in favor to some extent of our, of the kind of learn how to grow chickens movement and natural stuff. Like, I think they, they want people, the most competent, broadest thinking people out, you know, off the grid. They want that. Uh, but I think they have to, it's like a limited hangout thing and they have to control it. Um, but yeah, I think they, they are happy to interrupt the supply. Maybe, maybe it did have to, I mean, they're, they're ginning up food shortages, that's for sure. And terror mm-hmm. about food shortages and maybe burning those things down is like a, a gladio. Maybe it's an act of terrorism that they're just trying to get us to, uh, really be worried and even mm-hmm. pissed and even double down on, on learning how to grow your own chickens because it takes a lot of time to do that. If you're going to move to a homestead, you're probably going, you probably won't even make it to the polls on voting day. Not that, mm. you know, I'm historically right, right, a huge right. fan of voting, but it's kind of like, you know, like I was thinking that people who wouldn't get vaccinated will be like draft dodgers. It's like, okay, yeah. but you don't get to live here anymore, you know, or you don't, you don't get, uh, it's a stigma forever. I mean, I don't think it is. I don't think that is, yeah. but I, I could see, I can see how some of these things may play into a more sophisticated plan. But, but mostly I would say that's about interrupting a, like a really healthy food supply or just the food supply generally, cutting out substitutes. So the baby formula shortage was really contingent on not having substitutes. Yeah, well put. Another perfect storm. And I just thought of this this morning because I'm doing an episode on it next week, I believe. But I wake up and see another athlete 
This one on the Baltimore Ravens, a 26-year-old linebacker, dead. And interestingly enough, the team is not going to release the cause of death, but this weird, what a perfect storm where, and it was interesting, it was on an Instagram post from an NFL reporter, and there were multiple, multiple, multiple people writing, what is up with all of these athletes dropping dead? Why another athlete? And so they're starting to question that, I suppose. You know, is I assume you see this. Yeah, it's funny that Haley Bieber, somebody sent me a TikTok, Stratman sent me a TikTok video of Haley Bieber saying, blood clot went to my brain. Like the doctors really don't know. So they just said it was a perfect storm. I was like, exactly. Yeah, the perfect storm. And then, yes. you know, and then Justin Bieber has like half his face paralyzed. And, and so if you think about like a war, I think historically there's been one fatality for every, and then for every three casualties or injuries. So they, they, if you're injured in war, it's one in four of the injuries that take you off the battlefield are deadly. Mm-hmm. So let's say it's that. Let's just pull, pull out of thin air. Like, so you're, you're, really, you're only hearing about Haley Bieber and Justin Bieber because they're at the absolute pinnacle. Most people, you're not even hearing that. But the deaths, you do hear about. They underplay them. I predicted it, actually. As soon as the factual that I was like, just keep your eyes open. People are just going to start dying. That rate mm-hmm. of dying is going to go up and you're just going to notice it. I'm not saying do any stats. I'm just saying you're going to notice it. Now, you could, it could be confirmation bias, but, but, he, but the real clue is that they are not giving the cause of death. So I, I monitor on one day, same day, <laughs> or maybe the same weekend, Ray Liotta, Andy Fletcher of Depeche Mode, and Alan White of Yes. All three of those guys mm. died. So one mm. was 60, one was in his late 60s, and one was in his early 70s, or maybe 70. So they all died, and the cause of death is still not released. And, and that was, I think, probably a month ago. And that's, that's extremely suspicious. And now they just invented SADS, Sudden Adult yes. Death Syndrome. You know? And mm-hmm. as my, my son said, isn't a syndrome like a group of symptoms that is like so... So I want, they should do a special on what it's like to live with SADS. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but every, the, the only symptom is just dying for no reason, which now my son calls spontaneous combustion. Like, I oh, another yes. case of spontaneous your... combustion. So any of these guys who come out, like no cause of death, it's like, well, spontaneous combustion. I mean, you know, and it, it really is true. Like I remember when I was growing up, like that was a thing, spontaneous combustion. And it was ridiculous. It's like nobody just fucking stops living. It just doesn't happen, but it happens now. So obviously there's a problem there. And uh, I, I think a lot of people don't realize that these are documented adverse events. They're documented consequences of prophylactic gene therapy. And they they just don't... Uh, they can cause heart problems and blood clots. And I think actually people with, I've noticed this in my personal life and also on these famous people, people who have a history of uh, drug abuse or alcohol abuse, even if they're recovered, I think, especially I think cocaine makes uh, scar tissue in your heart. Like I just, I have a feeling having scar tissue is a a very serious underlying comorbidity Mm. that that can attract you know, toxic spike proteins and cause problems that could be fatal. Like that's, so you see, they'll say like Hawkins, the Foo Fighter drummer, maybe it's being a drummer. Yeah. Sound like I was a drummer. Uh, so Me too. he, you're a drummer too. And so is, mm-hmm. so is my son of the spontaneous combustion. Um, mm. He likes death metal. 
anyway. <laughs> so it's a little tough to take, but uh, so they, so, <laughs> so, so they'll say like, oh, well, he had a history of drug abuse. I'm like, right. Like this is all about taking out the weak, taking out the old, taking out the, you know, it's about comorbidities. It's about killing a lot of people, which was right in the report from Iron Mountain from the 60s. It said war is great because it kills a lot of people, but the problem is it kills the young, healthy people. We want to kill sick people and the old people. Like, can you build a bomb that will do that? <laughs> and they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it has to be delivered mm-hmm. person by person, but they managed, they're doing that. So I feel like a lot of the stuff that gets, you, they, it gets dismissed because it's based on history of drug abuse, but I feel like it's definitely a but-for causation. Like in tort law, you, if, if getting that thing, if you hadn't gotten that thing, you wouldn't mm-hmm. have died. That's, that's the thing. That's the measure. Do you see lockdowns as something they're going to try again? I think, my guess is, like maybe, yeah, maybe, but I think it's climate-oriented. But I think that yeah. what they've done is they've put the pieces in place that their nudges will work. So you yeah. can, so $7 a gallon gas. I remember in Europe, Europe always had really expensive gas. Like they, they sold it by the liter, but it costs like by the gallon. And people mm-hmm. were super, always, my whole, anytime I've ever been to Europe my whole life, people were super like cheap about the gas. Like, do we don't want to drive. Like they, oh, because they had those tiny cars. They would have those tiny death trap cars. I'm like, get a car, yeah. get a real car. You're, you're a lawyer, get a real car. Like, I don't know, because of the gas. <laughs> and like, they don't have kids and stuff because it's just, they have no discretionary income. And you kind of, uh, uh, use a racy expression, like over-educate the women, you know, like they're going to school till they're 30. And it's just, you know, all these little things in place so they don't have to have a one child policy, but they, but they have one anyway, right? They, they, have, they yeah. don't replace their population. So you don't need to have, it depends. Like, I think they do these scenarios they do test runs. Like if you read enough about how PSYOPs work and uh, they they do test runs to see what people will accept and how... So I feel like whatever this COVID thing is, they or one thing they do in psychological operations is they'll like do it, they'll roll it out. If it's wildly successful, they'll phase two it. Otherwise, they'll like stop it. And then they can even like, it can be so wildly successful that they just didn't even anticipate. How, they didn't even write the third season yet, but they'll make it happen because the show's, the show's a hit. But I think that they, that once they had Zoom in place, they're going to have this remote working. They're going to get, see this labor shortage is such ridiculous crap, but what it's going to do, like it just does not, again, perfect storm. Like there's just no, it does not follow that you shut down all the industry in the world, especially the labor intensive uh, public facing retail and you have a labor shortage. So a lot of things go into that. But what they, but obviously what they're doing with that is then they're taking this technology from Zoom to, you know, other forms of telecommuting, remote work, and they just forced people to adapt to it actually with technological investments, which they subsidize, and also to adapt to it mentally and emotionally. And then you can have some pretty uh, um, socially inept people. Maybe, you know, some people think the autism thing was on purpose, but you can have some mm. socially inept people who, like, I, I laugh because I call myself an agoraphobic agorist. Like, I hate the marketplace. I hate it. And I would mm-hmm. never buy so much stuff if it weren't for Amazon. But I just, I hate the agora. But uh, I, so, so they'll, you can get people to get, um, you know, uh, like, uh, not in the habit of going out like that. And then they like it. It's their yeah. comfort zone. And yes. 
But really, the next step, though, they, they're paying you extra to work remotely, right? They're paying people extra to stay home, which they should because they don't have to pay for an office. But yeah. very soon, people are going to realize that it doesn't matter whether you're in L.A. or... Uh, right. Across Bombay. the world. <laughs> you know? <Yes. laughs> like, it doesn't matter at all. And then... And then you just have no employment. Like the unemployment rate will be zero because there won't be a labor force because it's just going to be stimmy and UBI. Mm. So you don't have to have a lockdown. But if 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 they wanted to, I don't think they could do it. I don't think the climate thing is as powerful as they want it to be. They'll just, they'll just, if they can get rid of fossil fuels, you are locked down. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Yeah. And, and I've mentioned that point you kind of alluded to is if gas becomes I don't know, $10 a gallon. Effectively, a large part of the population is locked down because you can't go anywhere because no one's going to be able to afford that. Although my yeah, wife and also they don't, just they said, aren't going to have gas at all, is what I think. They're just not going to have gas at all. Like I have an old vet. I love it. It's so I'm very loving it. But I always love this vet. And I my husband and I both admire the same car. And we got this car as a treat. And uh, I consider it like a museum piece. And we're doing like good for humanity and preserving this beautiful car. And uh and someone said to me, well, someday you're not even going to be able to put gas in that car. Mm. So they're just going to get rid of it entirely. And then you're not going to have any cars because driverless grid cars are not, you're not going to bother having your, if it's driverless, you're not even going to bother having it. It's just going to go by your house. Like Ubers are just going to go and then they can just, we have an electricity holiday Yeah, and they'll just stop them for right. a while and they don't run at night. I don't know. Sorry, I can't believe I cut you off because... I've been doing no, like that's 95% okay. of the talking. And no, <laughs> I wanted you're, to hear you're, what you you're doing great. It just, this thought popped in my mind and I had, I was trying to block this out, but my wife did say, she read the other day, somewhere in France, there was a climate lockdown. She said some small town, it was too hot. And they said, everyone yeah. stay in. I believe that. I think, I guess I just feel like it's different in different places. I mean, weren't some places more draconian as far as the lockdown anyway? I mean, Europe really, yeah. they were like Austria for sure, passed mandatory vaccines like come to your house or like confiscate yes. your retirement savings. Yeah. If you don't, and in, it's all so regressive. I have friends in Australia. And I oh, kind Australia. Of, I got bummed out because they didn't bitch about it on social media. I'm not sure that they're allowed to, but it kind of... They portrayed, I would see them post pictures every three or four months having a drink at the house. And it's it would make me annoyed. Like, don't you hate this? You know, yeah. quit quit trying to hide. Like, let us all know that this is terrorizing you and that this is awful. But I don't know. It kind of makes me lose respect if they just chill and ah, it just is what it is. It's but, not a big deal. We're safe. But on the other hand... I agree with you. Like, and Ron Paul said that from the beginning. Like, never say there's an upside. Like, never ever say, well, at least I don't have to drive my kids to school, which I do say because yeah. I'm so sick of driving kids to school. But uh, I try never to say there's an upside. But I also, I also feel like now if they're going to start with climate lockdowns, I mean, they do do the blackouts. That's a lockdown, right? So, I mean, I'm not yeah. saying that there isn't going to be lockdowns. I'm just saying they might not just tell you. They might have to work a yeah. little harder for us for a while until yes. those things are in place where they just do it and don't tell you, don't name it, don't ask. It's just the cars are shut down is all I'm saying. But um, but I also feel, and this is like a whole nother, I, this is like where you get to high philosophy. That's, uh, it may be a little too much for me, but but I do think of this as World War III and 
I look back at my parents, like they were much more, let's say go back a hundred years before women had the vote, right? Who gave, and you could say women are the problem because they vote, but I would then counter with Warren Harding and Calvin Coolidge for Mm. Won by the greatest landslides in presidential history. And that's that was those are the first elections after women got the vote. But what idiots gave women the vote, right? Men. So they they were, I mean, I, I don't think they're idiots. I think that this the problem with voting is is nothing to do with, you know, whatever your equipment. But well, voting equipment, <laughs> but yeah, not yeah, reproductive equipment. So um so you can you can go back and say like like Clearly, people were closer to the fundamentals of the American experiment a hundred years ago, and uh, you know, just for whatever incremental wedging, like it gets, it just ratcheted, ratcheted, ratcheted to where we're way farther away from that. Yet they got World War One, they got World War Two, they got Vietnam. These wars were so they just changed everything culturally and politically in this country. Just huge step-up changes. There's incrementalism in those kind of changes, but this was stepped-up changes. And these wars are five, say, three, four, five, seven years, whatever. At the end of that time, most of the people are not dead who were there before. Mm -hmm. They're not dead. Most of the people, like us, of our age, like my kids won't remember, really, won't understand, but... But um, but all of us are still alive, and we remember the before time, just like they did in World War One and World War Two. But they did not, you know, they could slow it down, but they did not get the old world back. They never got the old world back. But always there's a remnant. And if you look at the Russian Revolution mm-hmm. and you look at seventy years of Soviet rule, like I believe the church was banned there, but there's still mm-hmm. a Russian Orthodox Church, and it's robust. And sometimes I think of looking into it because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's that's where I, that's where I go. Oh yeah, like I I cuz cuz I my I have a listener who's a priest and he's just like no, 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 no and he's super righteous. Uh but he's like you can't make that move. I'm like I kind of thought orthodox was okay. But but so but my point is that it may make more sense to to drink your drink and keep the remnants alive. And not necessarily be pissed off all the time and have to shout from the rooftops. I mean, the only reason I do what I'm what I do with my time, I, I would make well, I don't make any money, but like I would actually make money if I spent this time Ubering people around. You know what I mean? I spend my time doing yeah. this, not because it's an occupation of like monetary. Um so I make a little money, but like I it's the expenses. Yeah. I, I don't want to be oh, un, yes. untruthful. Like I have commercials and stuff, but it's not a lucrative endeavor. Um, but I do it because I do feel like my particular like talent is in communicating effectively with people who aren't like totally immersed in this stuff. And I help them kind of shorthand this issue or that issue. Like that's what I think my role is. But I don't think everyone needs to do that. And I try to enjoy my cocktails and I do enjoy my cocktails. But, uh, I, I like to do that. I like to not worry. I like to, um try to think of it as like, this will, this will end, not this too shall pass, like whatever, and we'll get back to normal. This mm-hmm. is going to end just like any other war, just massive technological change, massive political change. In this case, it's way worse because we have this technology, surveillance technology and genetic, uh, mm-hmm. you know, fuckery in the, <laughs> in your mm-hmm. own bloodstream 
that's really, really major. And COVID itself is probably genetically dangerous or certainly physically dangerous. Like these are real problems. But if you if you believe in human beings as like of dual nature, you know, or whatever, like we have a soul, if you think there is a God, like my mother gets mad at me for being so upset because she says like, God is up in his heaven. God is up in his heaven. I don't know what you're worried about. Nothing's happening he doesn't know about. He's got it. You don't know. So, and I always, when I say the Our Father, I always think that, like, uh, that will be done on earth as it is in mm-hmm. heaven. Like, mm-hmm. what it actually gave me goosebumps. I really uh. believe that. You know, like, I, I don't know if I even believe in God as a person who's going to know my name when I die. But our only hope is that we aren't the animals they think we are. So have faith that the human soul is something they cannot extinguish. And it's just like my mm-hmm. son who has Down syndrome. I'm like, you can kill them all, Iceland. But mm. they're going to always come back because it's just, it's just happens. You know, it just happens. You can't eradicate it because with every new, and in our case, with almost every new human being, I guess every human being has a soul, but... Uh, like every human being is going to be born with a soul, and and there's that, there's always the hope in that, and and if there if that isn't the hope, then you can fight. But what are you really fighting for? You're really fighting for that cocktail that your friend is enjoying in Australia, and you know mm-hmm. you're going to have to take it on their terms if that's all there is. Mm-hmm. That was a beautiful way to end this. I was going to ask mm-hmm. you for like a salient piece of advice, but you just kind of gave a bunch. Yeah. What, what's your favorite cocktail? Because now I'm thirsty. Well, I feel like, oh my gosh, I will tell you, I, I always felt the last word is like the best cocktail and it's the, I consider it to be the patron cocktail of podcasters because it's called the last word and it's very, it cleanses your palate. It's very refreshing. But I've uh, been like very slow burn dieting. Like I've decided that life is too short. I'm not like dieting. But uh-huh. I love my cocktails and cocktails are fattening. So I just discovered this old school, kind of cheap, about as low calorie as you can get given that alcohol is seven calories a gram. There's no two ways about it. I'm starting to drink the old school Gimlet, which I have a cocktail blog, monicamixes.com. But this I found on my favorite cocktail blog, Cold Glass, cold-glass.com, where it's two ounces of gin. It's a half an ounce of roses and a bar spoon of simple syrup. I use Demerara syrup. I prefer that. But um, ends up, roses isn't super fattening. So it's only like, I think, an extra 25 calories on top of the booze. And I was using this really great gin, Sacred Gin, which is great. But you can only get it in London. My husband like meals it back for me every time he goes on a business trip. But uh, I just used Heyman's Old Tom, which is what you use for Ramos gin fizzes, which Mm -hmm. a lot of people in the South bar will have the Heyman's because even though they hate making Ramos gin fizzes. But uh, so it's a totally affordable gin and it's great in the gimlet. So just make it real cold. Always stir, never ever shake unless it's got like fruit juice in it. Stir it up real good. Serve it in an old style martini glass. Oh my gosh, lowest calorie. Tastes delish. And, uh, you know, extra cold. And I mean, if you want bang for the buck, bang for the calorie buck, it's the old school gimlet, the OG. That's awesome. Okay, Monica's, uh, mixes.com. That one I did not know about. 
It's just for me There's so that one. I always know my recipes when I'm like visiting. I have eight brothers and sisters, so they're always like, make a drink. Well, now like, you've, <laughs> you plugged it oh. on this show. So now it's for a lot of people. Yeah, Oh, go you ahead. must read the little story. I always tell a little story of like why I like this drink. The Texas margarita. You got to read uh-huh. that. Awesome. I will. And plug away. You plugged some at the beginning, but just mm-hmm. to to seal this up, you've got a new kind of a new format that you're doing yeah. with your show. So explain that really quick and we'll okay, get you sure. Out. So uh, I just started a feed deep dives with Monica Perez. I used to do the propaganda report with my partner Brad Binkley. He still does the Drive Time News Blast, which is you know more of the headlines of the day. But I just I couldn't keep up on everything all the time. So Monica's. Uh, Deep Dives or Deep Dives with Monica Perez. And I do a couple of headlines a week. I'll spend like 20 minutes, 30 minutes on that. Like the Baby Formula One totally cracked the code. But I also do Buddy Dives. So if you um, would consent, I would put this show on as a Buddy Dive. And then I also do Dive Master interviews where somebody who really dives deep on a particular subject, I like to interview them. So I put them all there. You can also go to monicasdeepdives.com and I post everything there and I'm, I'm building that up uh, to have you know some social stuff. I have a little, little like Twitter feed type thing there for people to post their articles and us to have conversation. But that's something I'm working on because just don't want to go back to those platforms. I've been deplatformed too many times, but I do love Twitter. So I'm at Monica Perez Show until, you know, until I get the notice. Where were you deplatformed from? I assume YouTube. I was YouTube every day of the week, but I, I stop at yeah. YouTube when I get that second strike and I just don't really post anything there. I pull everything down, but I just wanted to maintain it so I could, it's a good search engine if you put up something that's pretty innocuous. Yeah. So that's on hold. Uh, I Facebook, I was basically just harassed to death there and I didn't want to lose there. So I just stopped posting there. But the big problem for me was WordPress. I really put a lot of effort into my blog back in the day. Really, really nice stuff. And they, uh, on February 14th, 2018, I said the internet is dead, closed, locked up. That was the Parkland thing. And I just didn't get ahead of it. And they tricked me into uh, saying something about a picture that came from a school shooting in the U.S. in December 2012. And it was the exact same picture that was on a school shooting in Pakistan like a couple of years later. And all I did was write, this is crazy. I put those pictures up and they said, somebody's complaining that you're using their pictures. I said, I pulled it off the BBC website. It was totally fair use. They said, that's okay because we, here's some examples of um, lawsuits we've won on behalf of our WordPress people, and we think that this guy is wrong. Um, we're not telling you to take it down. We're just telling you that he asked you to take it down. And I took one down, and then they sent me another one. And my husband was like, "Don't take that crap. Leave it up." And they didn't just take the picture down. They took it, the whole thing down. I nearly lost everything, and I never built it back up. I just it was I just not good at that. I don't you know I don't mm. know. Just so that was upsetting. And then WSB at the time was like mm. right on, like we should make a commercial, like you know, banned from the internet. Uh, welcome on WSB. And then there was a changing of the guard. My wonderful program director retired, same time that we got new management, and they like frog marched me <laughs> to the door. I was like, hey, what happened? To, you know, welcome on WSB. But maybe they just didn't think I was, you know, smart enough. I don't know. Mm, I doubt that part. I, you know, could it could have been merit based, but I was there for eight and a half years. Ah, yeah. uh, you speak against the regime, so therefore you get kicked. That's I know. That's why I don't get goes. anywhere. That's why anyone who ever pops out of nowhere and has like a million 
you know, views and followers. And so I don't care who it is. I do not care. Like, I am just sus of that. I've been plugging along for 10 years. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just not easy to be suppressed at every turn. And I do have a really lovely community of listeners, but it is just like one, you know, one listener at a time who has to follow you around. That's why I'm just going to my website and we'll just, we'll hang out there and, and opportunities may arise for us to make a real difference. Monica Perez, this is awesome. Thanks for being here on Counterflow. Thanks. It's just been really fun. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. Told you that was going to be a good one. And it was. It was. I have to say a special thank you as this show comes to a close. This episode, sorry, didn't want to scare anyone. But my video producer, Justin, many of you know Justin. He's got a lot going on in his life. This guy wanted to live out in the middle of nowhere. And well... Lo and behold, the internet is not always so good. Maybe I should call it the internet when you live so far out. In the middle of nowhere, like he does, he's got a lovely family and a nice property out there. But he's got so much going on that he's unable to continue the video producing that he does for me so excellently, I might add. So I would like to say thank you to Justin for being so good at what you do for so long and helping me out here on Counterflow. And welcome aboard my pal, Bobby Pearson. He also does all the production for Monica. And so now he's going to be producing all of the videos of this show that you see on YouTube. And if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, well, you better do it soon so you can watch these shows and listen to them. Of course, search Counterflow with Buck Johnson on YouTube. You'll find the page. Hit subscribe. You'll be made aware of everything I do on that, which also, by the way, We do live streams on there from time to time, and those do not go into the podcast feed on your app. It's just strictly there exclusively on YouTube. If you'd like to support this show, please feel free to do so. Patreon.com slash Counterflow and CounterflowPodcast.com has all of my links that you need to know. Thank you guys so much for being here with me once again this week. Have an excellent week. If I make it out of this crazy storm that's erupting around me, I will see you next week. Have a good one. You get split in fucking half, but I call him the hologram graph. But I am the center inside the placenta of math. You clash with cyanide gas and die fast. Rhythmical equivalent of solids, liquid, and gas. We smash a sinus with the power of Lord Titus. But I am the virus inside of the iris of Cyrus. Like the sound of the Counterflow podcast? Our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.